Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 18th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. And sitting in Catherine Smith for the entire show, a frequent guest but first-time guest host of the Kudzu Vine, Steen Kirby. Welcome, Steen. Hey, everybody. Great to be on. Appreciate it. All right. Good to have you on. Um, well, Steen, we're going to get right into your wheelhouse pretty quickly, but we'll start off um, statewide here in Georgia. And uh, one of the final races to be called, resolved, whatever terminology you want to use, um, was the Georgia governor's race. Um, they had to finish counting all the votes or count enough to know that there was no chance of a, of a recount or of a runoff, either one. I guess there could have been a recount that would have forced a runoff, which uh, who knows how that would have all fallen in. But, but it went very, very long because it was the closest governor's race since 1966, um, quite some time ago. But um, Stacey Abrams, she really didn't concede, but she said the outcome's going to be what the outcome is, but, but I don't want things to happen like they have in the past. Uh, Tim, just kind of since the election day to today, kind of give us your thoughts on how Stacey Abrams and just the, and Brian Kemp, for that matter, and just the whole um, election has unfolded. Well, um, as far as far as the governor's race, I mean, ever it, it's been television drama with people tuning in all the time. Uh, a lot of stuff going on on the social media. Um, this race went on and on and on and on to the point at the end where you started actually hearing some rumblings of people saying, you know, I wish this would just be over. Uh, I'm getting a little weary of it. There was talk of um, uh, Abrams uh, refusing to uh, call the election over at all. Uh, and 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 suing, and we'll, we'll get more on that in a minute, along with the concession speech that wasn't really one. And in the meantime, Brian Kemp uh, was pretty much, he declared himself the winner, acting like, you know, um, I'm the governor-elect, and he started setting up his transition team, getting photographed with the governor, and all of that. In the meantime, we had uh, two statewide races to go into runoffs. Um, I'm fairly happy with the results in Georgia. We uh, won a congressional district. More on that in a minute. We picked up seats in the legislature, uh, 11, as a matter of fact, in the House and a couple in the Senate. And uh, where we really made hay was in the North Atlanta suburbs up there. I think something like 13 of our 14 flips 
we're we're in that area. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where we really, really made some hay in North Atlanta and up in its suburbs as uh, educated voters started turning away from Trump and the Republicans. So that's some of the takeaways I got between Election Day and this day. Yes, Steen, just looking across the state, um, what were your thoughts, particularly on the governor's race? We hadn't even had your thoughts on the whole election, so you can go back a little further than Tim since he had his chance last week to talk about that too. Sure. Well, I, I definitely think that you know the further change in coalition between the more college-educated and suburbanite voters shifting to the left and you know becoming more democratic and rural voters – uh, particularly rural whites, uh, shifting even more conservative and more towards the Republican and Trump-style uh, candidates is is further clear in Georgia and pretty much everywhere else. Um, Kemp, you know, did what he needed to do to win, which was maximize that rural turnout and that rural voter base, uh, get you know just enough people in the Atlanta area and other metropolitan areas like Macon and Augusta to simply you know, stay in the game, so to speak. <laughs> and, you know, he he did what he did what he could do to win the election and obviously Abrams um you know got probably the margin that she would have wanted or, or been aiming for in Atlanta and other urban centers, but did not anticipate the drop off of support for herself in particularly the black belt counties, uh the rural counties that have significant African American populations. And then just you know, generally speaking, failing to make inroads in places like Whitfield County, Hall County, Forsyth, you know, sort of the semi-rural, semi or you know, becoming more suburbanized counties where uh, you know, they did put in effort and resources and they did move, but not enough obviously for her to reach the fifty percent margin that she was aiming to get. So the the polls were correct. You know, it was one or two points either way, but the Republican turnout went up just enough to negate uh, all the additional voters that Abrams was able to rally to the polls uh, that maybe other types of candidates or other types of campaigns would not have been able to do. I mean, the thing that stuck out to me is, is for everybody that you know wants to object about Kemp's behavior or tactics, the number of raw votes that he got, 1.9 million something or another number after that, was significantly more than, for example, Nathan Deal ever got in terms of raw vote. So even though the election was closer than ever, he obviously was able to get somebody to the polls to vote for him. Otherwise, Abrams' uh, turnout surge would have completely negated his ability to win. So they were able to rally their people to the polls, and you know, even though everybody, um, you know, wanted to highlight the Abrams motivation and turnout operation. It really seemed like the Georgia GFP and the Kemp operation actually came through, uh, at, le- at least in the race for governor and some of the statewide offices. Yeah, I, I do think this is a complex set of um, numbers, and, and there's a lot to study here if you want to break through in 2022, even in 2020 in the Senate race, uh, because while it is governor's race and sent you a senator, very different offices – the way you approach winning the office is more similar. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Nathan Deal. I think Nathan Deal was a far stronger candidate, even in 2010 when he wasn't the incumbent. 
than than Brian Kemp was. I just think I also think 2010 and 2014 were just far better Democratic. I'm sorry, Republican years than this year. Now, Stacey Abrams, she did do a great job boosting the turnout and a lot of metro counties moving those counties Democratic. We're going to talk about one of those, Gwinnett, in a minute because if I'm not mistaken, um, Cobb County had already moved um, to the Democratic uh, side in in, um, the presidential election. But Gwinnett Hatton. Um, no, Gwinnett, Gwinnett so, voted for Clinton. Gwinnett voted for Clinton. Gwinnett voted Clinton. So they had already moved. But but you were right. You mentioned that some of these rural counties and some of the rural counties with a decent sized African American population um, in South Georgia that they moved um, more towards the Republicans, places with a a good-sized minority population, and that's what's so frustrating. I mean, we can see some of the, you know, mountain Georgia counties that are, you know, 98% white, uh, you know, moving away. That could have been predicted, but some of the other ones, those were disappointing. Um, But let's kind of get into Gwinnett. Gwinnett uh, had a ton of state house and state senate seats that moved Democratic. I believe there may have been some county commissions, some school board seats that flipped, and Stacey Abrams, she's the first Democrat to win um, the governor's vote in many, many years in Gwinnett County. Steve, what's going on in Gwinnett County? Well, population change and uh, being accelerated by a change in sentiment among college-educated whites is making it very hostile territory for the Republicans very quickly. Um, as you mentioned, they picked up uh, two county commission seats, which is the first time they've had a seat on the commission period since, I believe, the 1980s, maybe the early 90s. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, they also um, picked up one school board seat, and then the other school board seat is going to a recount. Uh, the Republicans ahead, but by less than less than a quarter of a percent. <laughs> and then they picked up, I want to say – Four or five state house races, um, and then two uh, two two seats in the state senate, and then a third seat in the state senate was within five points. So simply put, you know, it was very much a wipeout. I believe the the local county party on the Republican side is going to have a change in leadership coming up, and you know they've just failed to cultivate and recruit uh, more diverse candidates and people that can connect with the types of voters who now live in the county and are, are voting in the county. And I just think that, you know, even if the local incumbents have a decent record and they're not, you know, unethical people on paper, it's not going to be enough because they're not connecting with the voters who now live here. Uh, we've had an influx of, you know, diverse populations, immigrants, African-Americans coming out of Atlanta, People coming from other states like Florida and you know, Chicago and New York and you know, places like that coming down here that have a different set of values and backgrounds and it's just it's not uh, you know you can't you can't run your campaign by visiting the Baptist Church and the Rotary Club anymore. It's just not that kind of county, and that's and that's kind of where they're at. And then you know for the Democratic side, obviously the the change in voter pattern has also increased the participation on the organizational side so you have more groups and more people that are you know knocking on doors sending out postcards making phone calls and, and doing all the things that make a you know make a campaign operate effectively 
uh, there was a candidate that I, I can't put the exact amount, but I want to say he spent less than five thousand dollars, and he won a state house seat that was that was you know not projected to flip. And I want to say his opponent spent well over fifty thousand. So <laughs> that just gives you an idea of it's not even necessarily the professionalism of the campaign. A lot of it is just people just want what they want. You know, they want something. That they want a person that agrees with them. And if their representation doesn't agree with them, then they're not going to vote for that person, period. Yeah, that's pretty amazing to win a state house seat for $5,000. The last county seat on the ballot um, in a small county usually costs more than $5,000. Uh, yeah, and they, they also that's, that's picked up – we, we had one uh, countywide race for the solicitor, which is a, again, sort of a legal court position. And the solicitor was won by a Democrat countywide as well, be, be a Republican incumbent for a solicitor. Yeah, well, I'm going to let Tim ask some questions on Gwinnett as well um, while we're on this part. Tim's questions for Steen on Gwinnett County and the change. Yeah, Steen, one obvious question I wanted to ask about, I, I understand all the changes that are happening in Gwinnett County, but then let's factor in – Donald Trump, because something like 60% of the American people said their vote in a lot of ways was based on uh, for or against Donald Trump, a support for him or, or a vote against him. Uh, sure. Do you think that was a factor in Gwinnett County it, as well? It, it, it definitely is in the sense of you know, underperforms the party line, so to speak. I mean, that's why, for example, Clinton won Gwinnett County, but so did uh, Johnny Isaacson in the last election. So Trump mm -hmm. doesn't help, but I also think that you have people that are not Trump-style Republicans in the county who are still not doing very well. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, Scott Hilton, who lost to Beth Moore in the Duluth uh, area, kind of West Gwinnett County, you know, he was not an example of somebody who was on the Tea Party, you know, far right type group. He lost, you know, but then you also had someone like a Janet Mahoney or Clay Cox, both of whom were, you know, more running to the right, more embracing Trump. Uh, Cox, you know, famously said he he would vote for Trump twice in one election if he could do it, uh, and he mm -hmm. lost as well. So. I don't think I can't point to any of the outcomes in the county and go. This person lost the election because of Trump. I think they mm -hmm. lost the election because of the overall demographic change. I mean, simply put, when the white vote share of the electorate drops below 60%, the Republicans have a real problem because mm -hmm. they're just not doing well enough among people who are not, you know, not white to be able to win the election. It's just the math doesn't work for them anymore. Well, well Steen, Steen, over – oh, uh, a little over 60% of the residents of the county now are either African American, Latino, or, or, or Asian. Uh, yes. Does that stat alone indicate that Gwinnett might become a reliably blue county for quite some time? Uh, absolutely, because you know that's that trend. That trend is probably not going to change. And uh -huh. even still, for as much as they have, have won, there's more on the table. You know, in coming elections to pick up other commission seats, legislative seats, etc. And you still have pockets of low turnout for the Hispanic population 
their their numbers in terms of registration and participation are still well below their their adult population in the county. So if mm-hmm. if that group, for example, is, is mobilized more effectively, it's only going to add to the to the strength of the Democratic coalition in the county. So to answer your question, yes, I don't see I don't see a way to reverse this unless you see the Republicans embrace a very different set of priorities and policies, which I mean certainly is not going to happen under Kemp most likely. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you would have to have a Larry Hogan style. Republican, you know, more moderate, somebody that's a problem solver and a bridge builder to come in uh-huh. there and, and rebrand the party. But, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, rebrands are not easy. <laughs> and as long as you have um, someone like Donald Trump to make into a boogeyman, it's not going to really probably be very effective to begin with. Yeah. I got one more question, um, uh, and then I'll throw it back to David to take us in another direction. But I can't leave the subject of Gwinnett County. Without talking about the seventh uh, district race for for just a moment, uh, I, I don't believe David was as surprised as, as I was by the result. But I mean, Woodall literally held on by his fingernails—barely 400 votes. Um, if the Republicans, while they still controlled the legislature, do not sit down and redraw that district in a far more favorable way uh, for Republicans. Uh, are we looking at a situation where Woodall is basically DOA for the 2020 election? Yeah, he's either he's either going to have to retire or he's going to be he's going to have to embrace a different style of campaigning or they're going to primary him out of there because they're not, they're not going to let him, you know, dra- drag his feet on campaigning again. Now, the, uh-huh. the irony is I think not campaigning probably saved his seat because people did not see him. They did not hear from him. It was not in the forefront of their minds about the priority being to defeat him. And he had a you know, relatively low charisma challenger as well. So I think mm-hmm. you know, the irony is I, I could easily point to the 400-whatever vote margin and go, the guy purely won because he was inoffensive to people and they didn't know who he was. If mm-hmm. he had been a Karen Handel-style character where, you know, very high name ID, very polarized views, he probably would have lost <laughs> because mm-hmm. Abrams won that congressional district over Kemp. So Woodall uh-huh. actually, you know, won the district while Abrams won the district. So he, he kind of um, got lucky, but but that's not going to last. I mean, it's just clearly not yeah, going to last. Yeah, I, I, I mean, does he automatically not become target number one among Republican elected officials in this oh, entire he, state for Democrats? He, he, he abs. Oh yes, he absolutely will be, and his voting record and behavior will be far more scrutinized than it has been previously. But you know, I think uh-huh. at the same time he's probably going to get, if if he intends to actually make an effort to save his job, he will get additional resources and support this election. He did not get this time. He didn't get PAC okay. advertising this time and things like that. So you know, it oh. could it could go both ways. Mm-hmm. Because this is the first okay, time that then. he's really been tested. Okay, then take it away, David. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on two responses you had to Tim's questions. And the first one was you mentioned Asian Americans in Gwinnett County, and I think Gwinnett County has maybe the largest 
uh, at least percent of, of Asian American voters in Georgia. Um, and and P, I noticed in, in polling and exit polling, Asian Americans are now more democratic than um, are Latino and Latina Americans. They're the uh, second most democratic racial group after African Americans. Um, any ideas? I mean, I know you're not Asian American, but you live in Gwinnett County, at least from the Gwinnett County experience. Um, why have Asian Americans become so uh, democratic reliably? I mean, si- simply put, I think it's a backlash to xenophobia. Um, the thing about it is, I mean, having polled and talked to a lot of Asian Americans of all of all backgrounds and of all different age groups and demographics and so on and so forth, they have values in many ways that would align with the Republican Party. They like low taxes. They like very good, you know, very good schools. They like school choice. They are not major fans of affirmative action programs. That's obviously been a big issue in California. That's it's been, you know, for the Asian community. They they love business entrepreneurship and and you know business growth and and promoting a you know, pro business climate, but they do not like you know when people are insulting their community and their background and and you know making a mockery of of their of their you know of their of their lives, <laughs> and I think you have too many Republicans that have have embraced that type of tactic like attacking birthright citizenship. Uh, you know, talking about you know supporting "quote unquote" real Americans <laughs> and that that type of language that you know really is alienated that group. While at the same time, you have a lot of Democratic candidates that across the country and in Georgia have made at least some concerted effort to include that population in their coalition. They you know they will meet with the leadership. They'll talk to people. They'll attend the the religious services and and meet with the business community. And if the Republicans either are not doing that or they're doing that while at the same time, you know, engaging in race baiting and and those types of behaviors, the community is going to be like, well, I don't know. So the fact the fact is, you know, of, of all the groups, even more than Latino or African American, the Asian vote is still up for grabs. I mean, they voted for George Bush. They voted for, you know, a lot of other Republicans in, in recent memory. But they just do not embrace this this Trump style behavior because they feel like you know by empowering that type of candidacy you're going to get things like the alt right, which just do not does not does not jive with their with their values and and what they want to see in the community. They want to feel welcomed and appreciated, not isolated and singled out. Yes, I, I guess they're seeing how Donald Trump has treated other racial minorities and. Why would they not be next if people have these feelings? Yeah, when you're uh, well, when you're whipping up an angry mob and you know the mob could turn on you, <laughs> you're probably not going to vote for the person whipping up the mob. Yes. Well, let me go back to the Georgia Seventh District, and um, that was interesting. You said that that Stacey Abrams actually won that district, and Carolyn Bordeaux came close, but but didn't quite win it. Um, now, I get the sense that the average uh, Republican insiders, they like Karen Handel more than Rob Woodall. They liked her more before this race, and they probably like her more even after uh, this campaign. And if you look at the 6th and the 7th district, there are parts of that district that are – each district that are very Republican and parts that have trended heavily Democratic. 
And now, of course, the Republicans just two years away from uh, census-level redistricting could, um, you know, really change the maps up and try to, you know, maximize and mess around with Collins districts, Graves districts, um, uh, very Loudermilk's district, and try to, you know, win both of those districts, Democrat or for Republicans. But to me, the, the, the better idea would probably for them would probably be. Let's win one, and let's just give up one. Um, if they were to give up one, do you think there would be there would be a map where they tried to go north and south and take that uh, Forsyth County part out of the seventh district, put it in with some of the more northern Fulton and, and East Cobb areas of the sixth district, make a new reliably Republican district for the time being, and then just make a district that's probably just as Democratic as uh, Hank Johnson's district, and if they were to do that, would it be set up for Karen Handel to then primary Rob Woodall um, since they pretty much prefer her, at least the insiders, everything I yeah. see? Well, the, the most the most logical thing to do is to give Gwinnett County its own congressional district because the county is certainly big enough to, to have earned that designation, and you know, obviously it's a community of interest. So that's that's probably if 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 Gwinnett, if Georgia gains another congressional seat, which it's supposed to be based on the census, they will probably just draw a Gwinnett County seat, and then at that point that'll be you know a Democratic seat just based on the the demographics of the county. Um, obviously, like you said, that would open up them to be able to draw for Scythe County in with the more northern parts of the Atlanta suburbs that are more Republican still, and maintain the you know, the congruity of that of that district being red. The only other option they have is obviously to take the seventh and the sixth, and take you know take the sixth to the west and the north, and take the seventh uh, either into Walton County or Barrow County, or uh, you know further north uh, into Forsyth. But I think that's less likely. So short short answer is I don't know what will happen with what all and handle. I don't know if handle even wants to do this again after. Going through two, you know, very exhausting elections for her and her, her, you know, for her and her family. But at the end of the day, I, I think they're going to end up giving Gwinnett County its own seat, just like you know, Fulton County has a congressional district and DeKalb County has, for the most part, a congressional district at this point. I've also had some people, you know, talk about they're going to draw DeKalb out of the sixth district because they don't want. Um, they don't want the DeKalb delegation to be two Democrats. They want it to be one Democrat. So that's that's another thing that I've heard is because McBath's margin mainly came from DeKalb County, they may just cut DeKalb out of the 6th District from now on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there, there are probably other tools, but uh, 538 has something, and you can mess around with the numbers and – you could go yeah. down to three Democrats if you made it the most Republican district. You could go up to eight Democrats if you made the most Democratic districts. Now, I'm not sure exactly how reliable that is compared to redistricting software, but um, there obviously are some ways that they could take these mega Republican districts like Collins and Graves, move some votes around, and um, give some other folks you know, to probably keep it, either secure the seventh or um, flip back the sixth, or possibly both, but I think one of those would be pretty short-lived, 
and then they'd be having another swing district on their hands. Yeah, the, th- the thing about cycles. Georgia is because of our black population, you have to have a certain number of VRA districts, and they can't get rid of those. So they can only they can only do so much because they still have to maintain those communities of interest being, you know, majority minority districts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could you could, in the south end of Georgia where Sanford Bishop is, you could do what they did with Gerald Green. Gerald Green is in a uh, majority minority district in the state house, and he's a Republican. He switched parties. For, uh, he was many years ago as a Democrat, uh, switched parties. And still holds on to his seat, even though his seat is majority minority, um, which is very odd. But I think they could somehow look at still keeping Sanford Bishop's district um, majority minority, but still have Republicans because it would be where minorities don't vote in the same numbers they do, say, in Metro Atlanta. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. Let's kind of, yeah, let's move this conversation to something totally different. And there is one more. Uh, federal election this time, uh, Mississippi has a special election. Uh, Mike Espy, former uh, congressman, commissioner of agriculture, for our, our secretary of agriculture, is the Democratic nominee. Um, Cindy Hyde-Smith, who was appointed to fill the term um, of the previous center, I want to say Thad Cochran, maybe. Um, yeah, it was I Cochran. think that's who it is. Cochran. Yeah. Um, She's trying to win her own uh, full term, and um, it didn't look like it was going to be that big a race given that Mississippi has a Republican lean, but Cindy Hyde-Smith has really been getting in her own way, Tim. Uh, How do you see this race right now? Well, it was supposed to be an easy victory for the GOP, but but, uh, GOP concern is growing. Uh, You you can see in their – Body language, almost that it that it's growing. Uh, even Trump is going to come in there and do two rallies in one night, right right before um, election day. Uh, GOP private polling apparently shows this race tightening, and of course now, as we've seen, she hasn't helped helped uh, anything with these verbal gaffes of hers. I mean. Speaking of, of being willing to join a, a, a big supporter on the front row of a public canyon uh, when she's running against an African-American in a state that has had the most lynchings of any state in the United States. Uh, to make matters worse, she totally botched the dealing uh, w- with the fallout. Thing I, I saw on TV the other day, a gaggle of reporters had her surrounded, asking her about it, and she just kept repeating over and over and over, "We've already made a statement." Well, that didn't come across looking very good. Uh, then there was the voter suppression statement, you know, about liberals at college, and maybe we shouldn't get let them vote. And again, that was badly mangled. Uh, the, I do know that the Republican National Committee has sent in two dozen staffers. The National Republican Senatorial Committee has uh, uh, put up, uh, I think, about three-quarters of a million dollars in ad buys, and the Democrats are suddenly pouring in resources from outside the district. 
Mississippi has had no Democrat elected to the Senate since 1982. Trump won this state by 18 points. Uh, here's, here's the deal. Espy needs about 30% of the white vote to win. He got he got 21% on November the 6th. I still think it's her election to lose, but it's not going to be a cakewalk now. Yeah. Um, now, Steen, I will, we have to be fair. She said hanging, not lynching. And while people know the difference is that you have a trial and hanging's a form of execution, lynching is uh, when you don't have the trial, you just skip the trial. And you basically murder someone, I mean, because you didn't give them due process. But here's the thing. If you're having to explain the difference between a hanging and a lynching, you're losing, correct? (laughs) Pretty much. Um, You know, Hyde Smith was not a politically tested candidate. Uh, You know, she was an appointee. She was not elected to anything. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that she's used to this kind of a spotlight. And as far as I can tell, the things that have, have damaged her have basically been, you know, hot mic gas. It's not been, you know, it's not like she intentionally thought what she was saying was offensive. It just came out that way, and she mm-hmm. lacked the experience and the, uh, you know, sort of political acumen to know that those types of statements would be would be, if nothing else, spun by the news media. Even if even if the intentions were not as bad as some people would want to suggest, you have to know that if, like you said, if you're talking about those types of things, you're already losing. You're not going to gain any votes with those kind of statements. Steen, can I throw in a question right there for sure. you? Yeah. I mean, you've run a lot of you've run a lot of campaigns. Yeah. Where's their campaign staff in all of this? Shouldn't they be well, straightening some of this out? And that and that's my point. It strikes me as the Republican reaction to this is a large part of blowback of suddenly realizing that she did not have a competent operation to begin with, which oh. is why she's in this position. <laughs> uh. And you know they're obviously trying to shore her up. I mean, but but you know again, this is this is sort of being more safe than sorry because. They know that you know, they saw what happened in Alabama, and obviously what cost them in Alabama was not some incredible Democrat. It was a Republican who simply could not keep his foot out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, obviously just hits kept coming, and, you know, he he could not conduct himself professionally. So they're worried about that happening again, obviously, to an extent. And I think they also know that they've been through this before. I mean, in Florida, they had Ron DeSantis, who – when he won that primary, he was very much a creature of Fox News and the, and the Trump media groups, and he was not prepared for for being in prime time. And he you know he made a comment that was uh, you know seen by many as racist about you know we can't monkey this up in Florida uh, when he was running against an African American candidate. That obviously hit the news media, and then he also got kind of busted for being involved with some. Groups that were, you know, on the radical right fringe, uh, you know, hate groups, so to speak. So, but but they all, but DeSantis won, in large part because the Republicans came in and stabilized his operation. Um, so I think they're trying to do that again, and I also think that Mississippi is a classic high floor, low ceiling state for a Democrat, because you mm-hmm. have so many African Americans, you can only do so bad. And Espy is obviously a, a credible enough candidate with enough of a background 
that he's not he's going to get a certain number of votes. Period. But his ceiling mm-hmm. is obviously very low, so he might just barely get fifty. But that's about the best you can hope for. Now, one one mm-hmm. little fun fact a lot of people don't know: SB became a political sort of you know maven in the state, running funeral homes. The the SB family is a big is big into funeral homes, and that's how they made their made the name for themselves. Huh. Yeah, well, and in Georgia, uh, I remember at one point the Georgia legislature had a ton of funeral home directors. Uh, it, it was almost yeah. the second uh, most common population uh, or occupation after a lawyer um, for a uh, while there. Um, back when I started working in Georgia politics, amazing thing there. Um, well, and I tell you, I get the sense that Cindy Hyde Smith and a lot of her campaign seems to be running the playbook that Ross Barnett would have been comfortable with uh, between the 50s and the 60s, and this is the 19 or the 2000 um, teens, and uh, yeah. it's just amazing that that seems like the kind of campaign she's running. And then um, Phil Bryant, with his defense, the governor, it was about just as tone deaf. And I do know there's a population in Mississippi that wants to move itself forward, that doesn't want to be um, what we saw in Mississippi burning and and all those uh, negative things back during the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Tim, do you think that kind of Cindy Smith is – Cindy Hyde Smith is a little bit of a um, kind of lost in in time, if you will? You know, I I think maybe Steen has a better angle. I would go with the word naive here. This person looks like a person who has been thrust into high political office with no concept, really, as to how to conduct themselves. Kind of sounds like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but not on so so grand a scale. But I really believe she said these things and never gave it a thought, and then she didn't know how to handle it. Uh, when it was time to explain herself, uh, especially to experienced reporters that were waiting waiting for answers, and the more she talked, the worse it got for her, and it actually turned a race that's not so close into a race that is close. I do believe Mississippi does have that group of people that you're talking about, uh, I, I met some of them when I was out there a couple of years uh, ago, uh, especially like over in the Vicksburg area and, and, and over in there. So uh, that that state is trying to move forward a little bit. And you, you made a, an interesting observation, uh, David, to me the other night when we were texting. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, if we woke up uh, – in a couple of weeks, and both Mississippi and Alabama had Democratic senators, and Georgia doesn't. And, and Louisiana has yeah. a Democratic governor. Yeah. Just yeah. Throw that in oh, yeah, and they definitely do. And I think that the different – I think the, the common theme in a lot of these races is um, David Vitter was a deeply flawed candidate. Uh, Roy Moore was a beyond deeply flawed candidate. And Cindy Hyde-Smith, if she this campaign goes on long enough, she might be a deeply flawed candidate 
even more so than she is now. I will defend her a little bit, Tim. I will say this. If you thrust her in the presidency, I do think she would listen to her advisors far more than the current occupant does because I don't think he listens to anybody, and that's his biggest problem. Um, well, let's go ahead and, and move on to um, other things. And, Tim, you got just a bunch of democratic or, or demographic information about the campaign, and we're going to have to have some kind of method to go about this. So let's go all the way over to the Pacific Coast. We almost never discussed California politics, but this year the Republicans just got wiped out, in particularly in Orange County, which was many ways the, the foundation and the cradle of the Reagan Revolution and later Pete Wilson. And even when Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, won that um, recall uh, election and then the, uh, and served, you know, Orange County was one of the Republican bases. It's pretty much all the way gone now. Um, Tim, what did you find kind of caused that? And there may have been some trends that are kind of national, not just specific to that one area of California. Well, you know, in California, boy, Pete Wilson really opened the can of worms a few years ago. Ronald Reagan himself, and and going back to the days of Goldwater, uh, how popular he was in Orange County, California. They had at one time, like, uh, the largest chapter of the John Birch Society in, in the United States, right there in, in Orange County. There was like 25,000 members of that organization nationally, and like 40% of them were in that county. Uh, Ronald Reagan himself said that Orange County was the place where good Republicans go to die. You know, uh, that that's how revered that county was in Republican circles. Even when Hillary Clinton uh, carried, uh, carried that county in 2016, the Republicans still had four of the six congressionals there. Well, the 39th was called uh, uh, just in the last day or two, and... There are going to be no Republican Congress critters coming out of Orange County. In California itself, the state Republican Party is literally on its knees. They are about to drop two-third in rankings of parties behind Democrats and independents. Imagine the Republican Party in the biggest county in uh, okay. Uh, I was hearing somebody else talking. Okay, uh, but but the the Republican Party is talking this. They're in the largest state in the country, where one in nine people live. Uh, the Republican Party uh, can't even outnumber independents. California is now a majority minority state. Orange County that we were talking about, guys, was 80% white in when Ronald Reagan made that statement. It's 40% white now. And the Republican Party, therefore, is just about to be wiped out there because basically Pete Wilson took a care of any support among minorities coming toward the Republicans uh, many years ago. So... Uh, that that party that party is in real danger. Some one Republican state official said the Republican Party just about 
is in a death spiral in California from which they cannot emerge. That's where it stands. Yes, and we know that some of their voters have moved on, like we saw about Texas. Uh, Californians that moved to Texas actually still are Republican, but they're not voting right. in California anymore. Um, and so that's kind of changed things. And then, of course, in Silicon Valley, you probably still have a decent number of white voters, but they are Democratic because they fit that highly educated, um, understand and respect science voter that um, has also well, left the GOP. Well, David, um, or has David, started David, voting in bigger David, numbers. they're still, they're yeah. still, they're still very Republican in the Inland Empire area, you know, in in the eastern part of the state. The problem is all the populations out toward the coast, and that's just as yeah. blue as blue can be, and they totally dominate the state. Yeah, where people are. Um, yeah, the Republicans right. love to point to uh, land where um, there are more sheep than people, and I don't know what there is out there. Probably Death Valley, which that means maybe cacti um, or petrified wood or something um, that doesn't vote. Um, Steen, um, you probably observed the, the you know how California's gone. Um, your thoughts on that, and what does that portend for the rest of the country? Given because of California's population, it really does drive a lot of different things about America just because if you want to sell products or whatever in California, then um, you're going to then have it be that way for the rest of the country. Yeah, I mean, California is another state where, uh, you know, the the, demogra- the changing demographics and, frankly, you know, change in values among different you know, generational groups is helping the Democrats pretty much everywhere in the state. Mm-hmm. And it's another state where the Republicans are, you know, probably were ever performing for quite some time simply because you had, a, a, you know, sort of nascent populations that were not voting. Uh, you have a lot of Latino voters and places like Orange County and uh, you know, Fresno and places like that, that, you know, if they, if they show up at the polls, which obviously in many cases they did this year, it's a big boon for Democratic hopes. And if they stay home, it's obviously not. So, um, you know, th- those seats were kind of due to flip, but once the money started to come in and once a lot of the Republicans were running were just not prepared for you know what was coming. I mean, someone like Dana Rohrbacher is just not an effective congressman. I mean, he spent, <laughs> he spent more time talking of defending uh, you know WikiLeaks and Julian Assange when he probably should have been tending to his own backyard. So some of the people who lost, uh, like Diane Harkey, um, you know the the, the Daryl Issa seat that was you know an open seat that Diane Harkey lost. Um, like I said, Rohrbacher, Mimi Walters, these were not incredible Republican candidates. Uh, but then you know, you also have people like Young Kim, who was a Korean American, and she was actually a pretty good candidate for the GOP. Uh, you know, kind of a different background than they traditionally recruit. She was a woman, she was Korean. Uh, she had a background sort of fighting for issues impacting her her community and her group, uh, you know, the Asian community. But obviously, it still wasn't enough. So, uh, you know, once again, I think across the country, you just see a realignment. And until the Republicans have a different brand at the highest level than the, the Trump brand, they're just not going to do well in Orange County. 
you you need a mm-hmm. you need a bridge builder. You can't have a bridge burner as your party standard bearer and expect to do well. Just like, you know, when Obama was seen as the head of the Democratic Party, you didn't see places like Kentucky or West Virginia going too well, because people in those areas just do not like what they see coming out of Washington. And same could be said about Orange County. They just don't like what they see coming out of Washington. And they and they. Uh, Responded. I mean, one of the big issues in New Jersey and California was the salt tax, and the Republicans had basically raised taxes on large segments of populations in places like Orange County, where the cost of living is extremely high. And those voters said, "Well, you know, if if you can't even keep our taxes low, why should we vote for you?" And they sent a message, and you know, pick somebody that uh, at least ostensibly, you know, did not feel that, that raising the salt tax was the appropriate way of, of doing business. Yes. Well, Tim, give us some more findings from across the country that you uh, researched this past yeah, week. Yeah, I, I want to give you some real surprising stuff. Now, we you've heard that the turnout was close to 50%. There's 116 million voters. That's the highest turnout uh, percentage-wise since 19. 19- 14, when there was like 50.4% that voted in that election, with no female voters, by the way. 25 states, over 50% voted. Just shocking for a midterm. Five states had over 60%. Colorado, Minnesota, Montana, Oregon, Wisconsin. There's one reason Walker lost. One state, get this, had over 65% of the voters to vote. Arizona. What happened in Arizona? Well, uh, Kirsten Sinema's what happened in Arizona. Um, if you break down the vote um, by white voters, 54-44 for the Republicans, and basically that's the only group that they won. They lost Hispanic voters by 40 points. They lost black voters by 81 points they lost asian americans 77 to 23 and a lot of these voters like over a fourth of the hispanics who voted and that was 11 percent of the vote guys they were first-time voters in a midterm 18 percent of black voters were first-time voters 12% of the white vote was first-time voters. Most of them were young, and they voted Democratic. A majority of the voters under the age of 30 were first-time voters. Young, Young voters came out, and women came out in droves. Pick one state out, Virginia. Tim Kaine got two-thirds of the female vote in that state. If anybody gets two-thirds of the female vote in any state, you know, they're going to get elected. Um, Pick another state out. Nevada. I mean, we we wipe Republicans out in that state. It's a very diverse electorate out there now, and it produced a big Democratic win. Uh, Two female senators, total Democratic control of the state government, a female majority on the state Supreme Court a female majority in one house of their state legislature. Women did very well among Democrats. They did very well, David. That thing you sent to me, 29 
uh, new House Democrats are female from the Democratic Party and only one Republican. Uh, this was the year of the woman in a big way. And a final stat I want to throw on you guys, Democrats won the female vote by 19 points in congressional races. What do you think? It was quite a uh, trend shuffling election. And, Steen, I'm going to have a question for you since you won't get to be on here every week and give your thoughts on the future. Um, This election Mm -hmm. was very much a referendum on Donald Trump. And in areas where he was, you know, had some demographic popularity like North Dakota and um, Missouri and places like that, he did okay. In places like the suburbs um, and new emerging states like Arizona, he didn't do so well. So if you're Donald Trump looking at this map, knowing that Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin were essential to your victory in in 2016 and you lost all three of those, Arizona's a state you carried and you lost that, Texas and Georgia, the largest two Republican states, were within a point, pretty much, of the biggest two races, the U.S. Senate and the governor's race, respectively, and will only trend more Democratic, at least as the natural trend. Um, What would you be thinking? Well, I think that, you know, the the president's going to have to depend on his Midwestern states that he carried first and foremost he's got to have Wisconsin again he's got to have uh, Ohio and Iowa and, and so on and he's going to have to either evaluate does it make more sense to try to go back into a Nevada or go back into a I mean certainly Arizona and Georgia will remain competitive but you know Nevada Colorado Virginia you know do, do you even make the effort at this point or do you try to find a state like a Minnesota that you can that you can maybe go after and, and have a little bit more success. Uh, if if Trump were to hypothetically be reelected, which is probably not likely right now, he would have to run the table and win by a very small margin by carrying your Floridas and your Georgias uh, by you know probably very similar margins to how the Republicans won the states this time. Um, there's something to be said for you know is this the the floor for the Republicans is this, you know, this is the worst they can do, or can it get worse? And that's obviously a big question because if, if Abrams or, uh, you know, for example, is, or Kristen Sinema in Arizona are the high water mark, then that's probably okay for the Republicans. If they're not, then you have deeper problems. Now, Arizona, you know, I will say the Republican governor of Arizona won easily. So it's not, it's not as if Arizona was a total wipeout. But you know he's gonna he's gonna have to watch his watch uh, you know watch his flank so to speak. He cannot depend on states that you know are reliably Republican to stay that way in in many cases. Hey, guys, yeah, and, I need and to jump in with a question. Sure, I, I need to jump in with a question if I can. And looking at some of this data, I'm seeing in states like Ohio and Missouri. Let's take Missouri. McCaskill lost the white vote there, 57 to 42. 
and, and she lost the race. But that's in a state where 84% of the vote is white. It seems that the Republicans, where they are winning now, they're only surviving as a whites-only party. Are, are they going to survive nationally like that? Sure, they won't. House of Representatives, where um, you have to win throughout the nation, it's can they figure out that electoral strategy to hold on another time or two while they can somehow figure out how to do what the 2012 autopsy said, you got to diversify the party. Uh, somebody that we're probably not a big fan of as Democrats, Carl Rove, he knew that they had to diversify their party way back in 2000, 2002, 2004. Um, but Donald Trump, that's not the model he uh, won on, so he's not going to do it. And some of his you know, top advisors like Stephen Miller see no interest in that. Steen, you mentioned Minnesota. And I think Tim and I saw that same piece on Political Wire saying that that's going to be a target. Democrats won every single statewide race, including attorney general – where um, Keith Ellison had um, had quite a um, kind of cloud hanging over his head, and yet he still won. And I think he won a lot because of the Democratic brand being so strong in Minnesota. They won both Senate mm -hmm. races. If Minnesota's mm -hmm. your target, do you really have any target? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, like I said, my – my previous answer still stands that he he would not be favored to be reelected just based on his approval ratings. But you mm -hmm. know, obviously, we're entering a new a new dynamic where you have a, a, a divided Congress now. He, he's not going to have uh, Paul Ryan to deal with and kick around anymore. <laughs> so he, you yeah. know, he's going to have to figure out how to. Well, I mean, if if he's smart, he's got to figure out how to get something in his agenda passed, even though he doesn't have a. A friendly, a friendly Congress entirely anymore. Um, and then, you know, obviously, who knows what's going to happen with the country? We could have, you know, change in economic circumstances. We could have some international crisis, or uh, you know, other domestic crisis props up. And you know, we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do. Obviously, we have you know new, new judges that are you know, more conservative courts. So, you know, anything can change, but I mean, obviously, just given that we just had an election and the Democrats won the generic ballot, uh, you know, nationally by about eight nine points, he would not be favored for re-election right now. And that's you know, he's got a, he's got a tough road to go, but I mean, he he had a tough road in 2016, and he basically threaded the needle, and he carried you know he carried three states, and really that was it. And really, it was just Pennsylvania that really did it, if my memory serves me. But but that Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin was really that was it in Florida. Um, so you know, he 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 wants to claim that he won a, a incredible, you know, dominating victory. But but really, you know, he's one of the one of the less popular presidents to begin with. And obviously, that standing has not improved at all uh, since taking office, except among Republicans who. You would would hope would support their own president <laughs> if you're a Republican. Yeah, I mean, Donald you mentioned Trump's the kind of guy on his ego. He wants to. Tim, I was going to say he uh, asked your question. He's the kind of guy he wants to compare himself to Abraham Lincoln 
and George Washington and give himself an A, <laughs> if you said, hey, you're more like Rutherford B. Hayes, he'd probably say who because he wouldn't even know who that person was. Tim, I'm sorry. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, I, I, there's another troubling point. That, Stane, you, you mentioned, of course, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. A lot of Catholics up that way. Well, in the last midterms, the Republicans won the Catholic vote in this country by 10 vote uh, points. Well, the other night, the Democrats won the Catholic vote by a percentage point. And we saw what happened in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania in the election the other night. Is there any way Donald Trump could win those states if he does not win the Catholic vote? Uh, well, if my memory serves me, I don't know if he won the Catholic vote in, in that in those states or not. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember a breakdown by religious belief, but I do know that he he cannot win it without doing very well among non-college whites. And you know, while Republicans did okay in some parts of the country with that, for example, in Pennsylvania, the uh, Senate and Democratic senator and governor won pretty handily. Um, uh-huh. While carrying probably a significant portion of people who voted for Trump, I mean they they would have had mm-hmm. to based on the numbers. So, mm-hmm. you know when you have when you have Republicans that are voting for, well not even Republicans when you have people that are voting for Sherrod Brown and Bob Casey and Tom Wolf and uh, you know Senator Debbie Stabenow in Michigan and people you know people like that, and then they also voted yeah. for Trump. You know he, he's going to have to convince those people to stick with him, and I don't know. So, you know, I don't know how. So you, so you're talking about the working class white vote that was pretty the much, or, or just, big. or just, or, or or people in the suburbs that split ticket as well. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, um, Stina, the clock. So. Um, Want to thank you for coming on the Cozy Vine this evening. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate it, and uh, great to have everybody together to talk about these issues. Thank Certainly you, Steve. Good we're night, de- everybody. We're definitely going to call you on again. Uh, good night, everybody. Perfect. Thank you. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and 